Dads, happy Father's Day, man. I, uh, I had the privilege yesterday of going and speaking at a father-son uh, breakfast down the hill, and uh, my son was gone up in Canada, um, so pray for Daniel and Gary. Daniel will be teaching up there this morning, and they'll be coming home tonight. But I shared this verse, or this portion of Scripture with the fathers and the sons yesterday, out of First uh, Kings chapter two, it says, "Now the days grew near that he uh, that uh, the the days of David grew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes, His commandments, His judgments, His testimonies." as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may fill his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way and walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their souls, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne. And guys, I just want to encourage you guys a lot of times you're just going, 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 doing, doing, doing uh, with um, a little bit of fanfare here and there um, because that's what you do as a man. You go and you do what you got to go do for your family and for, your, for everybody around you. And so, guys, keep the charge that the Lord has given us each and every day as men to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes, His commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies. Amen? Amen. I want to pray for you guys. Father in heaven, I just thank you for these men, for all these who are dads, Lord God, and all those who who, uh, are missing their dads even today, Lord. I pray for all these, Lord, that you would just bless and encourage, and that, God, you would just have your way in our lives as men, as as we take care of our families, as we take care at work, as we take care of this church. We thank you, Lord God, for all that you've called us to do, Lord. More importantly, that we would keep the charge that you've given us as men, Lord God, to walk in your ways. And I thank you for my brothers, Lord. Bless them and encourage them. Do a work in them, Lord, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you will, turn or make your way over to Matthew chapter 9 as we continue to see the authority of King Jesus on display in the lives of those who who understand that they need the touch or a touch from the great physician. And I love that Jesus alluded to the fact last week as we were studying his word about being a physician and that the sick need a physician. Again, without saying, I am the great physician, that's what he was saying. I am the great physician. I am the one that could that could touch and heal, especially from unrighteousness. You see, he came to heal men of their sins. Oh, along the way, he touched and healed people physically. But it's not until we come to that realization, first and foremost, that there is unrighteousness in us, can we truly be healed in our lives. And that's why Jesus had said, I did not come to call the well, the righteous, i.e. self-righteous. 
but I came to those who are sick and sinners to repentance. That's who our Jesus is. And unless we realize how desperately we need him, then you will continue to go on on your own, in your own self-righteousness, and you will hit a block wall every time. Just admit that you're sick. You're a sickle. <laughs> you're sick. And you need Jesus that desperately. Matthew chapter 9. I should get there myself. Beginning in verse 18, where we left off. It says, Now, while he spoke these words to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for twelve years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. When Jesus came to the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the, noise, the noisy crowd wailing. And he said to them, Make room for the for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. And when the crowd was put outside, he went in, took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all the land. So as we go back to verses 18 and 19 here, as we start off, I guess we can assume, basically... <laughs> That, that these stories are now running together. Now, now that, that Jesus has come back to Capernaum from the other side of the Galilee where they were at, it's been a long, long day, <laughs> a long couple of days. Although Mark and Luke, the other Gospels, have a different perspective, by and large, all the things that are happening in this time frame are very close together. In other words, ministry is nonstop. <laughs> it's always ongoing. For those of you guys who have ever been involved in a ministry or in ministry itself, you know that it just does not stop. And sometimes all these stories are just kind of coming together. And, and there's times in my life where it's like, when did that happen? Yesterday, last week? Oh, that was a month ago. But it was just like, you know, everything just kind of runs together. And it just kind of seems that when Jesus was on the earth, and he was already in the public view, and now he's starting to do all these crazy things in people's lives, and his authority is being shown, that everything is just coming together, and, and it's almost overlapping. And that's why, again, when you go through the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have different perspectives. But ministry is always ongoing, 
And it just seems like him, even for me and for us, some of us here, that you're going from one thing to another, one thing to another. And it's just like, okay, okay, I was talking to the pastor where the church I was at. He goes, it just seems that we're always just like right here, like just your head above the water, man, because there's another something coming up and things are always happening. And so it seems as Jesus has finished up at Matthew's party (laughs) that maybe as he is walking out the door, quite possibly, again, I'm just kind of speculating, when he is already telling the people about the the new garment and and the new wineskins versus the old garments and the old wineskins, While he, was, he had spoken these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him. So again, from one, from one situation to another, all of a sudden, he's still on. He, he, he can't catch a break here. So while he's finishing up talking to them about what we just covered last week, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him. Now, this morning, I will be referring a lot (laughs) to the other two Gospels. Because for some reason, Matthew doesn't give us all the details here. He is just a man here. Just give me the facts. (laughs) He is not going into detail. He must not have a wife that wants to hear all the details. Right? (laughs) But to get a fuller picture, it's important for us to go into the other Gospels. And I think it's, it's good for us to get a better understanding of the bigger picture to help us really understand the depth of who Jesus is ministering to here. Because it kind of is very vague. And if you don't know the other Gospels, then then you can just go on. But man, oh man, some details here are important for us. So Matthew says that he is a ruler. But from the other Gospels, we know that he is a ruler of the synagogue. Now, a synagogue is quite different from the temple. There's only one temple, and that's in Jerusalem. But there are many, many synagogues throughout, now throughout the world. You, you, you didn't have to be a priest to, to be over a synagogue, but you had to be a priest if you were going to be doing stuff within the temple. So there's a vast difference there. Only one temple in Jerusalem, many synagogues. If, if there was at least ten Jewish men in a community, you were allowed to have a synagogue. Other than that, you couldn't have a synagogue. You needed at least 10 for whatever reason. Now, a ruler of the synagogue is one who is elected or appointed to that post by the religious leaders or the elders. But he himself doesn't necessarily have to be a religious leader. He could be. It's quite possible that that they were, some of them, but he didn't have to be. 
and there could be more than one ruler of the synagogue at a time, probably taking shifts. But a man in this position, he oversees the synagogue. And this is where, again, the locals would go on the Sabbath or on you know, regular times. And they would go and be able to talk. They had meetings, different kinds of meetings. But, but a, a man in that position, he oversaw everything that was going on in the synagogues. The upkeep of the synagogues. He was a guy. The, the, the books... Of all that was going on, he was the guy. The disciplinary problems that might arise, he was the one that you would go to oftentimes for these kinds of matters. And he was also able to officiate the meetings that went on because oftentimes that's where the reading was being done. But it didn't necessarily have to be a religious meeting, but that's where the Jews would often congregate. It would be like a local church somewhere. But he would be able to officiate if he wanted to, if, if one of the priests didn't come or, or some other religious leader, he was able to do that. So here, here's a man who has a, a high position in a city by, by and large. So, so what we're seeing here in our text could be a very humbling experience for a ruler of the synagogue. Again, this synagogue is in the city of Capernaum. That's where they're at. And no doubt, this man has seen Jesus in his synagogue. Because that's where the Jews would go to congregate. We know from the other Gospels that there was times that Jesus did the reading. And he pontificated on the reading at times. Perhaps he he heard him. It's quite possible he has seen him do all these miracles and heard about all these miracles that he has been doing. But I would say that the the ruler of the synagogue, by and large, sided with the religious leaders. After all, they were the ones that put him in that position. He was elected by them, and so he would be more on that side, a part of them, than anything else. Now, from the other Gospels, we do know that this man has a name. His name is Jairus, the leader or the ruler of the synagogue. And not much more is known about him except in this story that we have before us and in the other Gospels to get the fuller picture of who this man is. But now calamity has hit his home. More than likely, this man Jairus because of his position, was a man of influence. He was a man of power because he he ruled over the synagogue and probably had money, more than likely. But you see, none of those things could help him right now. None of those things can take care of the situation at hand. Not his influence, not his power, not his money. He's in dire straits right now. This man, upon hearing that Jesus has come back into town, into Capernaum, knowing and seeing what Jesus had done and could do or can do, he wastes no time. And he came to Jesus 
and fell at his feet. What a picture we have there of this man who has it all, basically, who's been around in Capernaum, who people know, and all of a sudden, as Jesus is coming out the door, wherever he's at, however it is, this man comes and he falls at his feet. That's what the other Gospels tell us, that he fell at his feet. But Matthew tells us that he came and he worshipped him. He bowed down before Jesus. Jesus didn't stop him. Didn't say, hey, what are you doing, man? You can't be worshipping me. Didn't stop him. The word worshipped here means to kiss. Like a dog licking his master's hand, to fawn, to crouch to, i.e. literally or figuratively prostrate oneself in homage, do reverence to, adore, worship. That is what the Strong's Concordance gives us as a definition for this word worshipped. But I also like what Thayer's Greek lexicon, how he puts it, it says, of homage shown to men of superior rank. And I like that because here you have a man who is a ruler, who, is, who has high rank in the city, but now he is bowing down before the ultimate ruler. <laughs> in other words, he took his place. Oh, the other days that he had seen Jesus out and about and maybe seen him in the, in the, in the synagogue, he never bowed down to Jesus then. But he is in a place right now that he's so desperate. And, 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 and it's almost as if he could care less what, what anybody says right now. And can you imagine the scene here at this, as this man, and I always picture Jairus as this big man. <laughs> he could have been short like me. I don't know. But I always picture this, this big man who has this kind of authority bowing down before Jesus. And I always picture Jesus about my size too. Kind of with a little stomach or something, you know. Just regular old Joe kind of guy. But can you imagine the people just tripping out, man? Is that Jairus? Whoa, look at that. Never seen Jairus do something like that. What, what, what an example of this man who has all these things going for him, per se, and yet can't do anything about what's going on in his situation. And he is that desperate that he falls at the feet of Jesus because he's distressed and hurting. And what an example that is for us because oftentimes we trust in everything else. And then when push comes to shove and we have nothing else, no more recourse, our health insurance is gone, our, our, our money is gone, our, all this stuff that we trust in because it's like, well, if I don't have these things, then, then, you know, it's like when we come to the end of ourselves and we're finally going, I just need to fall at the feet of Jesus because there's nothing else for me to do. Oh, that that would be the first thing we do, but it's oftentimes the last thing we do, right? Because we trust in what we have. We often do. We could be a gyrus in, in no time flat because that's who we are as a society oftentimes. And, 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 and get this, Jesus knowing who he is and who he hung out with doesn't turn him away. 
I like that. He allowed him to come and bow down before him. Never told them, hey, why now, bro? <laughs> oh, now you need a touch from me. He didn't do that to him. You see, I truly believe that when the religious leaders were coming to Jesus in arrogance and pride and their self-righteousness, Jesus always put them in their place, basically. He never bowed to them or cowered from them. He just stood right up to them. But when they were sincere, when they were truly in a place of humility, man, he just brought them right in, man. He just allowed him, allowed them to come right into where he was at, at his feet or, or right around him. Because when, when we are sincere, when we are in humility, when, we, when our self-righteousness is out the window, man, Jesus just says, come and bow down. And he receives us all the time. This man was broken and this man was, was humbled. And Jesus, not being a respecter of persons by any means, has compassion on this man who had power, who had influence, who had money. And he listens to his cry. My daughter. My daughter has just died. He's a broken man. The, the, the other Gospels tell us that when Jairus came to Jesus, that his daughter was at the point of death. Because the bad news comes as he's talking to Jesus that she is like dead, dead. But you see, when Jairus left his daughter, and that was huge for him, to leave his dying daughter, to him, she was as good as dead already. But his heart was to go find Jesus, to go where Jesus is at leaving whatever, he, he couldn't do anything for her. And so to him, she was as good as dead. And yet he leaves her side. He leaves her side. He went to Jesus. Being in this hopeless state that he could not do anything for his daughter. Again, <laughs> You, you, you have to think, this guy has heard, has seen, has maybe been close by. He has seen what Jesus could do. And he comes to Jesus, and as he is bowing down before him, his cry is, my daughter has just died, but, but come anyway. Can you come to my house? Because I know that if you touch her, she will live. Who is this guy? How come he has that much faith? <laughs> That's just kind of crazy that he would say something like that because it's like nobody has been raised from the dead yet. We, ha we haven't read that part yet. <laughs> he's touched people. He's healed people. People who are demon-possessed. People that were just jacked up in their life and now they're walking straight or whatever the case is. But he's going, my daughter's dead and you could make her live again. Where, where'd that come from? <laughs> oh, he, he is desperate. He is so desperate. He knew what Jesus could do. 
Better yet, he knew what Jesus would do. He just knew. I'll leave my daughter right now. I know she's going to die. She's as good as dead, but I'm going to go get Jesus because he is my only help. He is the only one that could come into this situation and take care of this. And so he went anyway. He went and he cried out to Jesus. And verse 19 trips me out because it says, so Jesus arose. Jesus arose and, his, and followed him. And so did his disciples. <laughs> what? Jesus followed him? I mean, he could have just said, bless your little heart, Jairus. <laughs> bless your little heart. There is no hope. Death is going to take its toll. I'll do the funeral for you, bro. <laughs> but you want me to do it? go do what? Isn't that crazy? That what we hear here and what we see here is that Jesus arose. Jesus, I'm so desperate. Can you come to my house? My child is dead. Absolutely. I'll meet you right where you're at. You see, is it possible that Jesus just saw this man and he's seen the faith that this man had and how desperate and how much he's just relying upon who Jesus is, not really fully knowing him altogether, but just going, this guy has enough faith that he knows I could do this. He had enough faith to leave his daughter dying and or dead. And Jesus arose to meet him in his hopelessness. I don't know if we've, have you ever been there when you were so hopeless? And you're going, nobody else, nothing else. And I will cry out to the Lord. And he meets you and he gets up and he, he, he reacts or he acts to your cry. So Jesus gets up, begins to start following him and his disciples. They go also. They're probably going, I've got to check this one out. And again, from the other Gospels, we know that the multitude, I'm sure they were all coming out of the house and people are coming. It says that the multitude were now around Jesus to the point that they're thronging him. That is to say, pressing against him. Pressing up against him to the point of suffocation. Of, of, of just all up upon him, all up in him, on, on him. And then in verse 20 and 20 to 22, he says, And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well that very hour. 
Can you imagine the chaotic scene that is going on here as we learn from the other Gospels? It must have been chaotic and Jairus is, 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 is in a hurry to hurry Jesus along, but there's this crowd around him and he's probably going like, everybody move, you know, get out of my way. Come on, man, my daughter is dead and dying or dying and dead. Come on, get out of the way and time is ticking. And you're going, time is ticking, time is gone. But for him, it's like, no, I want, I want Jesus there as quick as possible. The sooner the better. And yet, there's this big old obstacle in front of him that he can't get through. And all these things, are pe- all these people are just coming around Jesus. And then it says, just then, in the crowd, suddenly, <laughs> there's a hand that reaches out hand reaches out of the crowd and it is as if everything stops with all the thronging that is going on in in this situation this woman touches the hem of his garment and in fact everything does stop can you believe that this mob this crowd this thronging crowd And this woman lunges out, however the case is. Is she on her knees? You know, how, 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 is the crowd just moving her along or moving around her? Are they stepping on her? What, what, what's going on here? I mean, to be able to touch the hem of his garment, is she on her knees? Is she kind of that low that she can touch the hem of his garment? <laughs> I would say the Physically speaking, she's, she's in a state of lowliness. She is that low in life. She is very, very low. Could you get any lower? It's interesting because, again, you Google this woman touching the hem of his garment. And all the depictions of the picture is she's on the ground and she's like reaching out, you know, to touch the hem of his, of his garment. But more than likely, this hem is not at his feet. This hem, more than likely, is about at his thigh, right here, because it's the outer garment that some men would wear. And so it's not the, the, the hem down here, more than likely, but just about right here. So she doesn't have to be laying on the ground. She can just, like, reach out. And more than likely, it's not like a hem that you would think of a hem, but more of some tassels that when you threw this outer garment on, there was this four, these four tassels that, that that was considered the hem of somebody's garment. And, and they, they represented the commandments of God. And so this woman, she, to her, or in her mind, said, all I need is to touch the hem of his garment. It, it, more of a tassel, if you will, that was sewed on to the hem. And so Matthew gives us a little bit about her, this woman. But let me read to you from, Matthew, or from Mark chapter 5 to give you a little bit more if you want to turn there. We're going to be there for a little bit. And I'm sure we'll come back to Matthew. But just to kind of give you a fuller picture of this woman, I, I, I want to read to you Mark's account. And it's the longest account. From verse 25 to 33. And it says, A certain woman 
had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his hem, or touched his garment. For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? (laughs) But his disciples said to him, You see the multitudes thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Oh, what a picture. You see, Mark, Mark probably had a wife, gives all kinds of detail. She wanted to know. But what we have here is this poor woman, this poor woman who has been unclean for 12 long years, 12 years, dealing with the flow of blood in her life. And I want to read to you from Leviticus chapter 15. You can turn there, you can let me read it and come back to it. To be able to give you an understanding of this uncleanness that she was dealing with for 12 years. And in Leviticus chapter 15, beginning in verse 19, it says this, If a woman has a discharge, and the discharge from her body is blood, she shall be set apart seven days, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. Everything she lies on during her impurity shall be unclean. Also, everything that she sits on shall be unclean. Whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whoever touches anything that she sat on shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If anything on her bed or on anything on which she sits, then he, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until evening. And if a man lie with her at all, also uh, so that her impurity is on him, he shall be unclean seven days, and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, other than at the time of her customary impurity, or if it runs beyond its usual time of impurity, all the days of her unclean discharge shall be as the day of her customary impurity. She shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies 
all the days of her discharge shall be to her as a bed of impurity, and whatever she sits on shall be unclean as the uncleanness of her impurity. This poor woman, this poor woman, she knows Leviticus. She understands Leviticus. She understands what the law says about her impurity. She has been dealing with this for 12 years. I don't know if there was a let up or not. I don't know. I don't know. But she was continually unclean in her life. And there was no remedy for her. And, and the doctors that she went to go see, they could do nothing for her but take her money. And so she was broke. And she was also unclean and she was also weak. I'm sure losing so much blood all the time. She's not even supposed to be in this crowd. She was unclean. She shouldn't be around people. They were unclean. They Go stay in your room. Go stay in this unclean place wherever women went back then, but you stay there. You can't be around on peop uh, uh, other people because you make them unclean. She's not even supposed to be where she is at. But she was really willing to risk it all because I'm sure she heard what Jesus had been doing in people's lives. And she's willing to risk it all because she said to herself, if only... If only I may touch his garment. To this woman, if only she could get to Jesus. Not even talk to him. I don't even have to talk to him. If only I could just get close enough to touch him. And not even touch him. Just touch his garment, what's, what's loose, what, what's coming down off of him. If only I could just touch the hem, the tassel. She had nothing to lose by risking it all. And it's interesting because we look at the, the other guy in the story, Jairus. He, he never said, if only I could get to Jesus. But he knew, if only Jesus would come with me and lay his hand on my daughter, she would live. It was at this point that Jairus was willing to risk it all as well. These, both of these people are willing to risk it all, but he had a reputation to maintain. And he would lose that reputation and all that came with it. He could have become an outcast from here on out. On the other hand, this lady, she's already an outcast. She's been an outcast for 12 years. She has been unclean for 12 years. And yet she is willing to risk it all to be an outcast forever. Even maybe even death for her disobedience to the law of Moses. And as I'm looking at this and looking at these two people from two different areas, I'm thinking, what are we willing to risk? What are you willing to risk in your life? If only we could touch Jesus, or if only he could touch us. What are we willing to risk? Our reputation? Are we willing to risk that at least? Or, or do we already feel like this outcast and we disqualify ourselves going, I'm already unclean.
Look at who Jesus is dealing with here. Jairus, an important man, a ruler of the synagogue. On the other hand, you have this woman, her name, not important. <laughs> she would not be able to enter a synagogue. She hasn't been in a synagogue for at least 12 years. I'm sure she knew who Jairus was, but he probably would never even give her the time of day. And that day, both find themselves at the feet of Jesus. And I like what Proverbs 22.2 says, The rich and the poor have this in common. In common, The Lord is a maker of them all. And every knee shall bow. Every knee will bow. Both were needy that day. Both needed a miracle from Jesus that day. And both were on the same playing field that day. The mighty had been brought down low and the weak had been brought up. And they were both on the same playing field that day. It's interesting that the people were thronging Jesus. Everybody was touching him. And yet this woman touched Jesus, touched his hem. And she was made healed because for her, it was if only. You see, she came with a different mindset than everybody else that wanted a piece of Jesus. She's just going, all I need is a hymn. And she did, and she was healed. Now, it, it was bad enough that the crowd was already moving really, really slow. But now everything had come to a stop. And Jesus is being so tender with this woman as if he had all the time in the world. <laughs> what a beautiful picture. With all the craziness, with everything that's going on, Jesus just takes his time with this woman and he calls her daughter. Daughter. An affectionate term. And he looks at her and he says, be of good cheer. Take courage. Your faith has made you well. And she knew. She knew, man, what an intimate moment that's going on right there between her and Jesus. On the other hand, you have Jairus going, what's going on here? What's happening here? Have you forgotten that I was first in line and my daughter is dying or dead? I wanted you to get over there. Everybody move. Gosh, gosh. Can you imagine the frustration that's going on? Can you? He's probably thinking, he's probably getting back at me because I hang out with the religious leaders maybe. He's just making me suffer. <laughs> Understand this now. Jairus, being who he was, the ruler of the synagogue, could have gotten this woman in a whole lot of trouble. <laughs> but he needed to see all of this played out before him. He needed to see what Jesus was doing with this woman, even calling her daughter. He had a daughter somewhere. She's dying. This woman had been dying. For 12 years, she had been dying. But he needed to see this because he needed to see the power of God at work in somebody else's situation that was hopeless. Just before he dealt with his situation, with Jesus. 
the fact that Jesus had stopped was because he felt power go out from him. And that was important for Jairus to see. And I think it's important for us to understand as well because when, when, when we see when Jesus was here on earth ministering and, and, and the power of God flowing through him, we often just think like, yeah, Jesus was a man. He was, man, he just had this power and stuff like that. But I could guarantee you, man, being a human at the same time, he was so drained by the end of the day as everybody's touching him, as everybody's getting from him, man. And he's just pouring out and there's power getting poured out. I mean, he's getting filled, but man, man, I'm thinking he must have been tired at the end of the day. Now, don't get me wrong. When, when Jesus all of a sudden ta- stops and says, who touched me, man? I felt power go out of him. It wasn't like he was short-circuiting, you know? He had this power surge. just like, what? You, know, you kind of picture all, the, well, I, I picture all those kinds of things. You know, it's like he had a breaker go up. It's like, oh, somebody must have touched him. No, he, he just knew that something powerful had just happened. And so he turns around and he sees this. Again, we don't hear of that always happening, but we see it here. And we, we understand that there was the power of God that was flowing through him. But Jairus had to, had to see that to get a taste of what was about to happen in his life and with his daughter. And so as, as we're kind of staying, I don't know if you are, I am, staying in Mark, in verse 35 and 36, it says, while he was still speaking, speaking to the woman, while Jesus was still speaking to the woman, in verse 35, some came from the rulers uh, of the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any longer? As soon as Jesus heard the words that were spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid, only believe. I'm sure Jairus was thinking, If only, if only we hadn't stopped. If only this woman wouldn't have done this. If only, you know, this, these people would have gotten out of my way. I think sometimes when we're like so in a place where we know that Jesus just wants to work and then some bad news happens or something distracts us, comes our way, we end up thinking, oh, I don't want to trouble the Lord anymore. It's done. Why trouble the teacher any further, you know? But, but what if the woman would have said, what's the use? Jesus is already with Jairus, man. That guy's more important than me. What, what if Jairus would, would have said, what's the use? My little girl is dead now. It's way too late. Please understand this, my brothers, my sisters. And never forget this. Jesus is never too busy. And it's never too late for him. Never. Ever. We might be freaking out. We might be going, oh, God. Oh. It's like, he's never too busy for that. And he's never too late. Jesus told Jairus, as he overheard what was being said, in essence telling him, do not be afraid. Keep on believing, just like you were believing that all I have to do is just touch her. 
and she would be healed. Continue believing that. Now, it took faith on the part of Jairus because now she was truly dead. <laughs> but they still went to his house. It's interesting because the other's gospels tell us that Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. And in those 12 years, I'm sure in their house, it was a time of joy, of laughter, of happiness. And with all his wealth, he could not save his daughter's life. On the flip side of that, this woman, she had this issue of blood for 12 long years. And she was lonely and sad and afflicted with this flow of blood. And she has spent all her wealth to save her life. What a contrast. From one extreme to the other, the great physician shows up and reaches out to both, showing us that it doesn't matter what extreme you're in. Jesus wants to touch you. He wants to meet your need. But you need to be at the feet of Jesus for that. As we finish up in our text back here in, in, in Matthew 23, it says, Then Jesus came, when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, Make room, for the, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in, took her by the hand, and, and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all the land. You see, the professional mourners were already at the house. And that's how we know that this little girl was truly dead. Because they wouldn't show up if she was only mostly dead. They were professionals at this. And so they showed up because she's dead. She has become room temperature. Jesus was not denying that the girl, the little girl, was actually dead. He was simply comparing her dead condition to sleep because, like sleep, her death was going to be temporary because he knew that he would raise her back up in a moment. And when the crowd was put outside, it said, and I love that because when all the doubt and all the belief was gone, Jesus was able to raise the dead and the power of God was at work. He only allowed Jairus, his wife, Peter, James, and John to be in there with him. And he spoke to the little girl and he said to rise up. And she did. And he instructed them to give her something to eat. <laughs> hey, she's been dead. She needed some strength. It's interesting because Jesus actually charged this family to tell no one what had happened according to Mark and Luke. But Matthew tells us that the report went out into all the land. Jairus and, and his family didn't have to say a word. I'm sure they're going, I won't tell a soul. <laughs> but they walked in the power of God. And everyone around them saw the power of God in their life with that little girl. If only 
If only Jesus could do things like that today. Oh, wait. He can. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Amen. Let's stand as we close in prayer, guys. Lord, what a blessing, Lord God. As we see these two people from two different sides of the track, basically, Lord. From two different extremes, Lord God, come together, Lord. And this woman, I'm sure, walked in the power of God because she felt the power go from him to her. And that day, she was healed of her infirmities, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord, that you raised her up, Lord. I thank you, Lord God, that that even in Jairus' life, Lord God, as we look at the story, Lord, this man humbled himself. And Lord, you worked in both of these people's lives. And it was by your power, that both of these people were made well and life was back in this little girl's life. And we thank you that we get to come and we get to see this kind of work that you were doing back then and we're reminded that today, Lord God, you are just as willing. If only, Lord, we humble ourselves. If only, Lord God, we take that risk to put ourselves out there with you, Lord, and fall at your feet. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord God. Lord, I don't know where each one of them is at right now. I don't know what's going on in their life. I don't know what's happening, Lord God, that you just want to make them well. (laughs) You want to bring back to life, Lord God, that which is dead. Lord God, humble us. Help us to humble ourselves, Lord God, before you, that we might find ourselves at your feet, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord God, that we can reach out and that you reach out to us, Lord. Thank you so much, Father. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Lord, if there's anyone who doesn't know you right now, Lord God, in this room, capture their hearts right now, Lord. Bring them to a saving knowledge of who you are, that you're willing, Lord God, to show them, Lord God, your power. Please, Lord, bring them to yourself, Lord God, that they would even ask for forgiveness right now. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.